In order to support our show, we need the help of some great advertisers. And we want to make sure those advertisers are ones you'll actually want to hear about. But we need to learn a little bit more about you to make that possible. So would you please do me a favor? Can you go to podsurvey.com slash Jamie? That's J-A-M-I-E, podsurvey.com slash Jamie, and take a quick anonymous survey that will help us get to know you better. That way we can bring on advertisers you won't want to skip. Once you've completed the quick survey, you can enter for a chance to win a $100 Amazon gift card. You guys, you can buy a lot of great things on Amazon for $100. Terms and conditions apply. Again, that's pod, P-O-D, survey.com slash Jamie, J-A-M-I-E. Guys, thanks for your help. Go to podsurvey.com slash Jamie. Hey friends, and welcome to the Happy Hour with Jamie Ivy podcast. I'm your host, Jamie, and I'm so glad you're here. Each week on this show, I invite a girlfriend to join me and we chat about the big things in life, the little things in life, and everything in between. Happy Wednesday, friends. I am back from Rwanda and I cannot fully adequately express how amazing the time was there with African New Life. I hope you listened to my show with Natalie Green a few weeks ago as we talked about the mission of African New Life. If you missed it, it's worth going back and hearing about. I want to say thank you to so many of you who gave to our project to help us meet our fundraising goal. Our Ladies Who Lunch team were so honored to share with you about the beautiful country of Rwanda and learn from the leaders there and show you the work that Africa New Life is doing to ensure that all of their students in their sponsorship program receive a meal every single day. Because it is true, students learn better when their tummies are full. So thank you, thank you, thank you. If you are still interested in giving, head on over to jamieivy.com and you'll be able to find out there how you can give. Thank you guys for all of you that gave. While I was gone, Happy Hour Live tickets went on sale. Yes, it went up last week. The link was on my Instagram. You can find everything on my webpage, jamieivy.com slash events. Did you get yours? Are you coming? Do you want to join us for this? Right now, everyone is able to purchase tickets. And to those of you that already have secured your spot, we love that you have chosen to spend a night with us in the greatest city in the country, Austin, Texas. We cannot wait to see you all. We have a few remaining spots for our spring event, which is May 15th and May 16th. It's going to be incredible, and we would love for you to join us. Go to jamieivy.com slash events, and you can buy your tickets there. You can choose from joining us on Friday night, where Latasha Morrison and Shelly Giglio will join me on stage, or Saturday night, May 16th, where my friends Christy Wright and Jennifer Allwood will join me on stage. Every single time that we have these events, I say it is my favorite. And it truly is because they keep getting better and better. And we love offering you one of the best girls nights you'll ever have right here in Austin, Texas. Again, visit jamieivy.com slash events for all of the details. Okay, friends, today my guest on the show is Nona Jones. Nona and I were recently together while filming for Better Together. And so we made sure to have a happy hour conversation for you guys to hear. Nona is an incredibly talented woman, but after building a career in ministry that appeared outwardly successful, the trauma of childhood sexual, physical, and emotional abuse left her feeling trapped within the trappings of success. Nona and I talked today about how her story is marked not by her abuse, but by the redeeming power of her faith in God. Friends, I do want to tell you that some parts of our conversation, they might be triggering if you or someone you are close with has endured the unjust acts of childhood abuse. I always want to be sure to say that at any time you think it'd be better for you to not listen or to skip it till you're prepared to listen, please do just that. Nona's abuse began at a very early age, and though she does not describe in detail the abuse she endured, I want to be proactive to mention that we do discuss the pain she carried and how looking back over her life, she does not see her life marked by that abuse, but covered by God's presence and his redemption of what was so horrific in her life. You're going to love my friend Nona, and so here she is, my friend, Nona Jones. Nona, welcome to the happy hour. Yay, thanks for having me. This is so great. Now, I just should let everyone know, we're in a hotel room. Mm-hmm. And what city are we in? I don't know what the city is, but it's Orange County. Orange County. I get so confused when I come to this place. <laughs> Literally, I'm like, is Orange County a city or know. a county? I don't know. I was texting someone <laughs> that I think lives around here, and I'm like, I don't know where I am. I don't know what city this is. <laughs> I never know where I am when I come to Orange County. And the airport is SNA, but it's Orange County Which Airport. Which is Santa. What is it? Santa. I don't know. SNA. I don't know. 
It's not John Wayne, though, right? It is John Wayne. Oh, this is John. See? But that has nothing to do with SNA. It's like, I don't know. Anyway. This is two women who travel to a lot of airports going, where are we? <laughs> where are we? Like, where would I tell somebody to come get me? I know. I don't even know. I don't know. It's so funny. But we're here. We're both filming Better Together tomorrow. And your pants are like really hot, I should say. Thank you. Yeah. These are my Spanx. Yes. Do you have Spanx leggings? I don't have Spanx leggings, but I've seen those for sale and I've been thinking about getting them. And since they look so good on you, I think I'm going to do it. You need to not think about it. You need to run. Yeah. So these are the moto. You call it moto? Yeah, the moto. Mm -hmm. They are nice. Yeah. And here's why I love them is because I could put a really nice shirt on and some heels mm -hmm. or I could be like I am right now with tennis shoes and a hoodie and they're still the same. <laughs> They're just the best. Oh, they're awesome. Okay, so you need to buy some Spanx as soon as you get home. I'm going to do that. I also have across from a mall. You saw that. I didn't see it because I haven't been out. <laughs> <laughs> but you should get the camo ones too because I have the camo Spanx. Yes. And they're really nice. Yes. Okay. You're speaking my language. Last thing about Spanx because this, yes. is, this is not unless. <laughs> but if Spanx would like to send you and I some. Oh, we would totally take them and post pictures on Instagram. Yeah, we'll do it you want. <laughs> they come up so high. Look, I'm showing That's you. That's what Look you need, how the tummy high. control. Yeah, it's the tummy control. Yeah. Yeah. Which is nice. I yeah. need that tiny control that. in my life. Yeah. Um, welcome to the happy hour. We, <laughs> you and I met earlier in the summer at something that we we're both at. Um, and I knew that there was something special about you. And then when I found out we were both going to be taping together, I was like, well, this is it. We have to get Yay! together on the happy hour. And so I am like a listener here to tell you the truth, mm. because I have a handful of questions that I only have because I follow you on Instagram. Isn't that funny? <laughs> that is hilarious. Like you follow someone, you're yes. like, I have questions because they haven't filled in all the blanks and what they're saying. <laughs> Because right. we forget that people don't know us. Yeah. Um, yeah. But introduce yourself. Tell us what you do, where you live, your family, all that kind of stuff. Sure. So um, I'll start off with where I live. I live in Florida and my family is my life. So I'm married almost 16 years now. It's been 15 and a half years. Got married a month out of college. Congrats. And most people Congrats. look at me and they're like, what do you mean you've been married almost 16 years? Yeah. Um, I have two little boys. Because you look young. Thank you. You do. I, I appreciate that. So I'm I'm three years from 40. And I don't know, like I'm excited about turning 40, but it's also kind of scary because I'm like, it just feels so like adult. 40 feels adult? You've done a lot in your life, Nona. <laughs> and I'm just telling you, you hit adult quickly a long time ago. I want to be an adult for real. Um, but yeah, three years from 40. Um, two little boys, six and nine. Um, my oldest is Timothy Jr. My baby is Isaac. He'll be seven um, towards, let's see. Oh, he'll be seven in a couple weeks, actually. Um, what else? I have a golden doodle named Shiloh. I have a golden doodle, too. You do? How old is your golden doodle? Two-ish. Shiloh is two. Oh, my her gosh. birthday is October 17th. I don't know her birthday. Oh, <laughs> it's actually in my calendar. I could look it up. But uh, I have a question for you. Does your golden doodle lay... A girl or boy? A girl. Does she lay on her back a lot? She doesn't lay on her back a lot. Okay. But like when I walk toward her, she like lays on her back and like opens her legs, which is really That's disconcerting. That's what ours does too. But she'll just lay there on the ground like a dog playing dead almost. Yeah. Okay. It's a little disconcerting. So, I but it, I think it's a, it is a golden doodle thing. But so. we love our golden doodle. I love my baby girl. My husband is, yeah, he's like, that's you treat her like a human. And we I also do. have a labradoodle. Ooh, I was thinking about getting a labradoodle before the golden doodle. But you I made the, the good choice. You made the right choice. What's <laughs> <laughs> wrong with the labradoodle? She's just a little crazy. Okay. Our golden doodle, we feel like she's like a therapy dog. Aww. And the labradoodle, so she kind of makes me nervous just looking at her. She's anxious <laughs> and worried. Oh and yeah. Oh mm -hmm. Well, so uh, my two boys, my dog, um, live in Florida. The reason why I say that is so what I do, I have a ministry, an evangelistic ministry. Um, I also pastor a local church with my husband. Um, that's why I still live in Florida. And then for my day job, I lead faith-based partnerships at Facebook, which is located in California on the other side of the country. <laughs> so my team is in California. I live in Florida. Uh, the way that even came about is I got a call out of the blue one day, literally out of the blue. Um, and I was asked to take on this role and I told them that I couldn't move. Who called you? Um, so a random person <laughs> who was in their recruiting division. Okay. Um, my name had been given to them as somebody to talk to about leading this work for the company. Uh, just so happened that they called me on the day that I resigned from my previous job because God told me to do it. On Didn't the day. On the day, 25 minutes after I resigned um, in faith. And um, yeah, they called me and I told them I couldn't move because we have a church in Florida. And so that's why I still live there. Well, that's my life in a nutshell. Okay, let's talk about this with Facebook. Yeah. Oh, I have another question first. Sure. We're in Florida. Gainesville. So North Central, kind of like 
What's right the college is what I'm getting University at. of Florida. Gators. Gators. Okay. Gators. Are you a Gator? I'm a double Gator. Yes. What does that mean? A double that Gator. Means a bachelor and master degree. Yeah. You are a Gator. I'm a Gator for real. Except I don't watch the games and I don't really care much about the football. Even oh, okay. Though that's what everybody cares about. So I love football. So that's oh, why cool. I was. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But I'm not a Gator. <laughs> what what team do you support? Texas Longhorns. Okay. I don't. Th- is there a rivalry between Gators and Longhorns? I don't think, I don't think so. No. Because yeah, it's different divisions, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, that's as much as I know about football. Okay, well there you go. Yeah, yeah. that's the extent. Um, okay, so let's talk about Facebook. <laughs> All right, and yeah. your job there. What does it entail? Because I don't really understand what you do for Facebook. So, <laughs> and help me because yes. I don't want to rag on Facebook at all, but <laughs> Facebook is a hard place for me. So tell mm-hmm. me what you do and sure. why you love it and all that kind of stuff. Sure. So what I do, I'll provide context to even how I came to the company. So a couple years ago, the mission of Facebook changed. It used to be all about connecting friends and family. And then in 2017, it crossed the 2 billion user threshold. Jeez and Louise. I think Mark really had a moment of introspection because it was like, there's this thing that he created in his dorm at Harvard just to connect people in the dorm that now was connecting a quarter of the earth's population. And so he was like, okay, what does the next iteration of Facebook need to be? And um, he had some research done to try to understand communities and like, what are all of the different types of communities that exist in the world? And the research showed that there were parenting communities, fitness, uh, local neighborhoods, et cetera, et cetera. But what he was really uh, intrigued to find is that the largest community that was the most meaningful to the people who were in them were communities of faith. And he himself at one point was atheist, then he became agnostic, and he's kind of been moving along that continuum. So he was just shocked because in his mind, and I think in the mind of a lot of people in Silicon Valley, they think faith is weird because a lot of people who work in tech are not people of faith. Very interesting. Yeah. So when when this information became known, he was like, okay, well, we need to do something about it. And so um, it just so happened that he was actually in a meeting with someone who I had done a leadership program with. And when he made this revelation, the person said, I think I know the perfect person to lead this for us, but I don't think we can get her to leave her job. And so fast forward to the day I got the call and the day that I resigned, God told me two months before that to resign from my job, but didn't tell me why. So in faith to God, resign from my job, get this call from Facebook, the extent of the role um, as it was described to me at the time. Okay. That just gave me chills. Yeah. I'm telling you, there's so many details I left out just for time's sake, but it's God. Okay. It's nothing but God. Um, But the extent of the role at first was really just to help Facebook build its global strategy for how to work with communities of faith, faith leaders, faith institutions. What I have done is my role is both externally facing and internally facing. So externally, I work with, you know, the pastors, denominational leaders, Christ-based organizations around the world to help them use Facebook to build community, to help them use Facebook to connect people around their mission. Internally, I work with our product teams. I work across all of our advertising teams, live pages, et cetera, et cetera, to make sure that we're serving the needs of people of faith and the organizations that serve them too. So I really act kind of as a bridge to the faith-based community for Facebook and then make sure that our product strategies are built with a, a faith lens, if that makes sense. Yeah. Okay. I want to put a little page marker right here sure. because I have questions about Facebook and faith. Yes. But I want to go back a little bit because, uh, and we're going to talk about your growing up later, but what did you do before this to prepare you for this? Because this sounds like <laughs> a really big job. Did you have that big of a job before? I have never worked in tech or social media before I got to Facebook. That's, this is my question. <laughs> where my questions are coming yes. from is what were you doing that they I, said you would be equipped? Listen, I am telling you, this is a God thing. So I have met so many people who have been doing church communications for years who, in my opinion, are far more advanced than I am. Um, But before this, I was actually leading a statewide network of alternative schools in Florida. It was a network of schools for girls who had experienced trauma, which was near and dear to my heart because that's part of my story. But I was doing that. So I was at the chief executive level, loved what I was doing, thought I would do it for the rest of my life. Before that, I worked for a municipal utility company, which was multi-service utility. So, um, you know, energy, water, wastewater, et cetera, et cetera. And I was doing federal policy work, state level policy work, working with the government. Um, And before that, I was in the property and casualty insurance industry, and I was helping to lead the diverse markets acquisition strategy. So my background has nothing to do with what I'm doing now, except for the fact um, that the work I'm doing now is ministry. Yeah. And I was licensed into ministry when I was 17 years old. I've been preaching and teaching the word of God since then. 
love the church, love everything about the church. And so- So you see this as an overflow to that? Absolutely. I, I really view the role that I have at Facebook as a ministry assignment. I also want to point out to you and all the listeners that every job you just listed, you are clearly an adult already. You do not need to wait <laughs> until you turn 40. Girl. I'm like, oh here's my, my jobs on my list. Like- Teacher for a year and a half. <laughs> um, okay, so let's go back to Facebook yeah. and faith. Yeah. And I find it very interesting that you mentioned that a lot of people in tech do are not faith-based people. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't really think that's surprising, but I do find it interesting with you being in the workforce. What does that look like for you? And I'm, I'm imagining that they value you mm-hmm. and your faith because it's a big part of Facebook. But how do you sometimes bridge that gap yeah. personally and professionally? Great question. So um, part of the way I can bridge the gap is because I understand the gap at a very um, granular level. So I was actually a microbiology and cell science major in college. And I understand people who believe that, frankly, science is their faith. I understand people who believe math is their faith because it's predictable. You know, it's it's something where if you understand the equation, you can get the right answer. If you understand the scientific process, you can get the right um, outcome. And so you have a lot of people who are used to being able to control things, whether it's through engineering, whether it's through science or math. Um, they have a, they struggle with this idea that there is a God who is sovereign and therefore there are many things that are out of their control. And I think that's where um, that's where the, the kind of tension between yeah. faith and technology comes in is this idea that if I can just create the right code, then I can create a predictable outcome. Um, but the way that I bridge the gap is I'm just like, the reality is all science and math does is it explains what God created. It doesn't explain why. Uh, in many cases, it doesn't even explain how. So we have these, for example, theories of evolution, right? Mm-hmm. Well, the very first word is theory. A theory is something that is unproven, but is widely believed. And so we have these theories that we've ascribed to. And what I tell my colleagues is I'm like, that's just, that's your faith. So as- You're as putting your faith in that theory. You're putting your faith in that theory that cannot be proven and cannot be replicated in a lab. <laughs> Um, And so I really try to bring that level of understanding to the work that I do, which is, look, I'm a person of faith, not a person of blind faith. I'm just, I look at the statistics. I mean, it is statistically impossible that all of this beauty and order came from the chaos of um, a primordial soup. I don't even know what that word is you just said. (laughs) (laughs) So it's this theory, it's this theory in biology that um, we all evolved from this so-called primordial soup where there were these basic nutrients and proteins and elements that somehow magically came together and formed an amoeba, which is a one-celled organism that somehow magically over millions and trillions of eons evolved into human beings. That is statistically impossible. And so I have conversations with my colleagues about that and I understand where they're coming from. Because you have that background. Because I have that background, exactly. So I totally respect their opinions, I totally respect their um, suspicions mm-hmm. because I studied it, but I also know what the word of God says. And I think that because of that, people are able to respect the conversations I have with them about faith. So working at Facebook, how long have you been there? Uh, it's been two and a half years, which is crazy. Oh, congrats. That's not that long. Well, but it seems like it's not that long, but I've been there longer than like 90% of the people um, at this point. Are you one of the oldest people that works there? Probably. I was going to yeah, say, yeah, it yeah, like yeah, very, I, I would totally assume. Am. Yeah, but uh, I think the average tenure of a Facebook employee is like two years at the most. Where are they going? Um, it's it's a revolving door. So you have people that leave Facebook to go to Google. They go from Google to Twitter. They go oh, from Twitter wow. to wherever, Oracle. And it just goes around and around and around. Or they do a lot of startups and things. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. This is a whole, like a world that I have literally no knowledge of. Yeah. Never I didn't even had a walk toe the in it, you yeah. know. Yeah. yeah. I was the same way. None of it. Okay, so let's go back and let's go way back to your life because I've heard you mention, and I know you talk about it in your book, Mm -hmm. which you have a book that released released yesterday, actually. Congratulations. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Uh, It is called Success from the Inside Out, Power to Rise from the Past to a Fulfilling Future. Yes. Congratulations, by the way. Thank you. Because I know that's a labor of love. But you talk about this whole idea of, you know, rising up from failure. Yeah. Let's talk to me about what that has looked like for you personally in your life. Sure. Um, to be where you are today, you know, almost 40, two kids, running hard, doing things, ministry. What is, how far have you come to get here? Wow. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of times we walk in on a person's life chapter and we assume that's the whole story. And that is certainly not the case for me. 
Um, I was born to a mother who didn't want me. She was married to my father for about 13 years before she found out she was pregnant. She did not want to have children. Um, grew up in a very violent situation. It was her and her 11 brothers and sisters, and they regularly watched their dad beat their mother within an inch of her life, like just right in front of them. And so I think that trauma really just changed my mom. Um, understandably, she, right? Of course, yeah. understandably. And so I think she just decided from an early age, she didn't want children. She thought that all of those children were the reason why her mother had to stay. And so um, she made that decision early, but then my mother also became violent herself. She ended up getting expelled from school in the third grade. She threw a teacher down a flight of stairs. She would run away from home for days. And I mean, it's just a lot of dysfunction, but uh, eventually my, my father met her and fell in love with her, asked to marry her. And he didn't know any of this. And so their marriage was incredibly rocky to say the least. Uh, but when she found out that she was pregnant, my father was so excited. This is 13 years into their marriage. Years yeah. In. yeah, he was so excited. Um, but she actually was angry. She cried. And then about halfway through her pregnancy, my dad had some stomach pain and he went to the doctor just to have it evaluated. And he was diagnosed with terminal stomach cancer and he was given six months to live. And your mom is pregnant with yeah, the baby pregnant, that she did not want. Exactly. And and he, of course, wanting to be a dad so bad. I mean, I just can't even imagine facing your mortality, knowing that your child, you're, you're not going to be able to see your daughter go to kindergarten. You're not going to be able to see her graduate college, walk her down the aisle, like all of that flooding his mind. So he fought really hard, and even though he was only given six months to live, he actually lived until about two months shy of my second birthday. So oh, that's a lot longer it's than— It's a whole lot longer yeah. than he was given. Um, and so I was grateful for that because I have pictures of him holding me, but I don't have a, a ton of memories. Um, and then shortly after he passed away, my mom actually moved us to um, Florida after—we were in New Jersey. That's where I was born. She was chasing after a guy she barely knew. He just promised that he would take care of her and take care of me. And so she moved because she was really impulsive. That's one of the other challenges my mom had. Um, but yeah, she moved us there. That relationship ended shortly after we got there. And um, over the course of about two years, there was like a string of men that came in and out of her life, in and out of my life. She finally met a guy who became her living boyfriend. And this guy, um, I knew pretty early on that he wasn't a good guy because when she wasn't around, he would hug me like close to his body and he, would, he wouldn't let me go. And you're how old? Um, I was almost five. Okay. So I was about four and a half, five okay. years old then. Um, and then my mother's sister passed away and I was about five at the time. And she told me that she had to go back to New Jersey for the funeral. And I asked her to take me with her. She said she couldn't afford another plane ticket. And so she left me with him. And I told her, I said, Mommy, I really would love to go. You know, I'm not going to ask for anything. And she left me. And um, the and very you first remember night, that? I remember it vividly. Yeah, I remember that. The very first night she was gone, I locked my bedroom door because I just felt unsafe around him. And you're five years old. Five. Yeah, I was laying in my bed. I had my comforter like up around my body. And I heard some scratching on the doorknob and realized that he was trying to get in the room. But I figured because the door was locked that, you know, I was safe. What I learned that night is the type of door locks that we had, a straightened wire hanger could actually pick the lock. And I didn't know that, but he was able to get in my room. Um, and that was the first night that I was violated by him. And it was a, just a turning point in my childhood, as you can imagine, because number one, I felt completely unsafe. Um, and then after he was finished, he told me, he said, you better not tell your mom or she'll get rid of you because mm -hmm. she doesn't want you anyway. I'm so sorry. And, oh, it's, yeah. It's, um, it left a, an impression on my mind that night because he said she'll, she never wanted you. And it, it made me feel not only unsafe, but it made me truly feel unwanted. And uh, my mom and him used to get into arguments. They would fight constantly because they were just angry about stuff. And her anger started to boil over at me and she started to become physically abusive to me. And so I think between him saying that and her being abusive to me, I just felt so unwanted. I felt just so um, unworthy. And um, the, the abuse, his abuse of me continued for about two years. Oh and um, I didn't say anything to my mom until one day I did. Had you felt unwanted before then? Or was his was him saying that to you the first kind of you have of that? Yes, of, of being told that. And then um, it was after that point that my mother started to become physically abusive. And so I think that really kind of um, affirmed what yeah. he said. Mm -hmm. And so I told my mom, I was around seven when I finally worked up the courage to tell her what happened. And she actually had him arrested, which And you hadn't I, told anybody? No, hadn't told anybody. Um, I was really grateful that he was arrested 
But um, on the day of his release, she took me with her to the jail to pick him up. Oh, my gosh. And uh, brought him back home. And how old? I mean, this is so confusing for an adult. Oh, uh, this, But I can only imagine for a child. Yeah. Because you felt like my mom is fighting for me. Yeah. My mom yeah. cares. She yeah. loves me. She believes yeah. me. And then to have that all. Yeah. I mean, she, the night that I told her what he did, my mom literally, like, attacked him. Like, beat him down. And I... I felt so liberated then. Like, I just remember feeling so grateful and so excited. Someone took up for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then for her to bring him back, like, it just communicated to me that he mattered more to her than yeah. I did. Yeah. And so, um, Why about, do you think your mom did that? You know, I think my mom just really had her own insecurities, okay. you know? Because I, I can't even imagine, being a mother myself, like, I cannot imagine right. doing that uh, to my child. And so I can only think that she had some insecurities within her. But um, yeah, so she brought him back and their, their fighting just got worse. And he started to abuse me again when he got back. Of course, he now had this like license to do it. And uh, when I was around nine, I tried to commit suicide because mm -hmm. I, I really felt like there was no other way out. Um, I was watching a talk show and they were talking about the dangers of hidden dangers in the household. And they were talking about a, a toddler who died because a TV like landed on him. He pulled over a dresser. And there was another one that was talking about a kid who drank bleach and he died from poisoning or something. And so I went into the laundry room mm. and I was looking for bleach, but we didn't have any. All we had was laundry detergent. And so I got a cup full of it and I forced it down and I thought it was going to kill me, but it actually just ended up making me throw up all night. And so I survived that, but um, the abuse didn't stop either Did you way. tell your mom what that attempt was? No. Did she know you had drank laundry detergent? No. Um, she heard me throwing up. But it wasn't. No, she was basically, she thought I had overate. Like she was just like, oh, that's what you get for eating all my food. Mm -hmm. And so she was very, there was just no compassion there yeah. at all. Um, but I think- between her and him and the abuse just continuing, I became extremely, um, I just became really belligerent at, at school mm -hmm. at a young age. And so I got labeled as a problem child. The teachers assumed that I was bad. They said I had a learning disability. They would punish me constantly. And um, nobody ever asked me why I was behaving that way. And that's part of the reason why the the role that I had at the alternative school. I was going to say. I was so like, because I remember acting out and it really was a cry for help. It's like, yeah. I just did not know how to process what was happening to me. Yeah. And so I was acting out because of that. And there were these girls that I was serving at that school and, you know, at the various schools, there was about 20 of them. And I was like, these girls just need help and they need hope. And I saw in them myself. Mm. Um, but the teachers just wrote me off. They were like, oh, she's just a bad kid. And I didn't grow up in a Christian home. So like, I didn't know about God, Bible, Jesus. We never went to church, none of that. So I truly felt no hope at all. And so at the age of 11, I tried to kill myself again mm. because it was just constantly mounting and I was getting labeled with all these um, titles of being a bad kid. And so like, I even have, you can kind of see the faint scar on my left wrist um, when I, I tried to it, slip yeah. my wrist. Um, I tried to just slip both of them, but um, it didn't, didn't work. I missed my artery by like, micrometers at this point does your mom know mm -mm. no i never told her i never told her because i i didn't see the point i was like you, she doesn't care yeah i was like you don't you don't care so there's nothing to say like oh mom i mean when i told her what he was doing to me she brought him back anyway yeah so i was like there's no point but it was shortly after that second suicide attempt that didn't work thank you lord that um, one of my classmates in the sixth grade she invited me to go to church with her Oh, and you're going to make me cry. I didn't know what church was. Like, truly did not know what church was. I thought we were just going to go hang out, like play games. I Have didn't know. Pizza, Have probably, some pizza. Yeah. I didn't know. I was like, yeah, sure, I'll go. And um, ended up going with her and her mom to this church. And when we walked in, people were just so happy to see me. And they just hugged me and loved on me. And it was so bizarre. I was like, I don't know who these people are. But they were more loving to me than I had ever experienced in my whole life. And the very first sermon I ever heard preached the pastor said, God is a father to the fatherless. Mm. And I was like, did that click for you? Absolutely. Because I used to, I remember vividly crying myself to sleep so many nights, uh, wishing my father was alive. Uh -huh. Like really saying, daddy, if you were here, this wouldn't be happening to me. Daddy, why did you leave me? Like just so in torment. Because you needed someone to save you. I did. I did. And I felt like if my father had lived that yeah. he would have done it. I mean, yeah. th your life would have been different. Yeah. Had your dad not yeah. had cancer. Yeah. I know. But to hear someone say God is a father to the fatherless, that immediately piqued my, piqued my interest. And I asked my friend's mother, I said, hey, can I take one of those books home? Because I knew the pastor was reading out of that Bible. You didn't know what it was. I didn't know what it was. I just knew it was a book because when he gave the passage, everybody opened to uh -huh. it. 
And so she showed me what the passage was. And I was like, can I take this home? And so I took it home and began to just read the Bible for myself. I didn't quite understand it because uh-huh. it was like, I think a King James version. And it yeah. was like the shouts and the uh-huh. owls or whatever. Yeah. Um, but it just, it spoke to me and there was an interest in my heart. Like I, I need to know who this God is because I want my father. Yeah. And so that became the turning point where, you know, now I'm in this community of people who love God, who love me. I don't know why they love me. And I got plugged into the youth group there and literally began to study the Bible with this group of my peers and understood finally that I was fearfully and wonderfully made, that I was made on purpose, that I was not an accident, that I was not uh, unwanted, that I actually had a father in heaven who knew the hairs on my head. Like that changed my entire concept of my value. And and the abuse didn't end right then. It, the abuse did not end then. It didn't end immediately, but I, I, was, I was at a place where I finally had a sense of a potential future mm. and a hope that I didn't have before. Yeah. And so God literally saved me. He didn't just save my soul. That mm-hmm. was part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, he saved my life. He saved my purpose. He saved my identity. Like he redeemed my story at that moment. I um, get to talk to a lot of women in my job and I love it so much. And the stories that really move me so much, it, it doesn't have anything to do with the trauma, yeah. but what moves me so much is when I hear women say that they read God's word mm-hmm. or they went to church and heard something for the first time and they had never known. And it's like we read in the Bible, like the scales came off their oh, eyes. Yeah. Oh, and yeah. it moves me because I... As someone who's grown up in church my whole life, mm-hmm. I can get a, sometimes a little bit jaded mm-hmm. yeah. that God still does that mm-hmm. to people who've never heard his name. Yep. They hear his name and he changes their life. Yeah. And so I, I love hearing your story. It gets me emotional too because it reminds me of how how grand and how amazing and how how true God's word is because oh, yeah. it says it pierces the soul. It pierces the heart. And yep. that's your story. Yeah. Yeah. I... I've often said that I feel like God's protection was around me, even in the midst of me being abused, even in the midst of me being violated, because at the time when I wanted to end my life, God said no. Hmm. And I I didn't know that was God, but I totally see that now. God said no. Like, I have a greater purpose and a greater plan for you. You're going to be sitting one day with Jamie Ivey, and you're going to be talking about this, and so I can't let you end your life because there are people who need to know that there is hope in my word, there is hope in in God. Um, God is sovereign. I mean, he's just so, his grace, the thing I like to say is his grace reaches deeper than our deepest pain, Mm. you know? And so I... I'm a living testimony of that. And I'm just so grateful to be able to be talking about this now because I tell you, I think about back then, I did not envision a future. Well, of course not. You couldn't even probably see past the next day. Not at all. And that's why I like to tell people like, listen, if you feel like you're in the darkest part of your life, if you feel like there's no deeper place you can go, guess what? You're right. Mm -hmm. The only place you can go is up now. That's right. No matter how dark it is, there is hope, there is light, and I'm a testimony to that. Yeah. Like when I thought that my life wasn't worth living, um, God gave me a reason to live. If you don't know it, guys, I'm a Texas girl through and through. I've lived here most of my life. I was born here, and I love traveling. Here's why I love traveling throughout Texas, because it has a vast landscape of cultures, regions, destinations, and activities, which means there's an infinite number of different travel experiences. And no two travelers are exactly alike, and it means that no two trips should be either. If you're a beach person, well, you can have fun under the sun with Texas's 350 miles of coastline. If you're more of a rugged vacation type, there are campgrounds, hiking trails, and state parks galore. And foodies cannot get enough of Texas's world-famous barbecue and Tex-Mex. Enjoy live music, visit internationally recognized art museums, and check out thrilling cowboy experiences. And now, Travel Texas offers a -a one-of-a-kind online trip builder that allows users to generate a custom, visually-led trip matched to their unique interest. Guys, come visit my state. Visit TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn to get the only trip to Texas that matters. Yours. That's TravelTexas.com slash GetYourOwn. You guys, in January of 2024, I made a commitment to myself. I wanted to get stronger, which meant I needed to get in the gym, which means I needed to move my body in different ways. You guys know I love to walk. 
Well, it's spring, and spring is the best time for us to start a new workout routine. It's our yearly collective warm-up, and Peloton is here for everyone's yearly warm-up. This is the best time to get into a good rhythm, to tap into your power, and build towards your summer you. I love my Peloton. It accommodates to my schedule with a variety of class links to choose from. I can choose a 30-minute class. I can choose a 45-minute class. If you only have five minutes, there's literally a class to get you moving your body in five minutes. Peloton has a range of class types fit for every goal and every mood. There are classes if you want to hear country music, if you want to hear uh, rock, if you want to go back to the 80s. If you can't run, take a walking class. Need some grounding? Try yoga. If you want to level up, go for their Pilates or HIIT workouts. Here's what I love is that you can move at your own pace. And that is what I'm learning that my body needs right now. It needs to move at its own pace. Peloton makes the process easier with personalized recommendations and guided programs that take all the guesswork out of working out. You guys, we think about so many things during the day. Let's take the guesswork out. Let's jump right in and let's keep our fitness journey fresh every single day. Peloton has everything you need to get you where you're going. Whether you prefer to run outdoors, row or ride at home, or strength train at the gym, Peloton has something for you. I personally love a good 45-minute hip-hop class. It gets me moving. It gets me excited. It's my favorite genre of music, just ask my kids. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. That's OnePeloton.com. You enter the church, you're reading the Bible, your life is starting to change. You're seeing hope for the first time. You're saying, I want this father. I want this protection. Mm -hmm. I want all of these things. But you're still in the same house. You still have the same mom. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming the same live-in boyfriend. So what? how does your personal life adjust to what's happening in your heart? Um, it was it was a challenge for sure. Like it was really a challenge. As a matter of fact, at one point, my mother kicked me out of the house because I think I didn't wash the dishes or something and she just got really angry. So she kicked me out of the house and um, I was no more than maybe 12 or 13. So it wasn't long after I joined the church, but uh, she kicked me out. I had nowhere to go. And so I went to the home of a family that lived like right next door to the church. It was like in a trailer, like right next to the church. And uh, just so happened that the mother was there and she took me in and they let me stay with them for about a month. A month. Your mom kicked you out for a month. Yeah. Now here's the, here's the clincher. My mother came to my school, had them call me out of class and then took me outside and yelled at me and cussed me out and told me that it was disrespectful for me to not have called her and told her where I was. And I was like, you kicked me out. <laughs> and she was like, that doesn't mean anything. You should still call me. So again, that, that mental- Is your mom still alive? She is. Okay. Yeah, she is. Looking yeah. back though, do you see mental illness? Absolutely. Okay. Oh yeah. It feels as though we've got some mental illness going on that was maybe undiagnosed and yeah. men- unmedicated, oh, yeah. all those things. Yeah. Is your mom a Christian? Um- I don't know. Okay. I don't know. Okay. You can tell me more of her. So yeah. you live with the family for a month. Live with them for a month. And um, when she pulled me out of the class and she was really upset with me, she told me that I had to leave their house and she said I had to go back home and that I could not go to my church anymore. Oh. And so she made me stop going to that church. And so that was the real test because now, now I'm in a situation where I don't even have the church as a support. So I literally had to rely on the word of God, like Fully rely on the word of God. And, and you're what they a teenager. Me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah, prayer. A lot of hard things in teenage life. Oh, man. And then we're going to ask you to live in an abusive home and rely on the Lord. That yeah. is a hard task at hand. But you know, what I, what I started to do, and I talk about this in my book, is I think that a lot of times we live our lives either up or down to people's expectations. And so the teachers who said I was a bad child and that I had a learning disability, I began to live down to their expectations because I was like, well, this is what you think of me, so I'll just make it true. After I came into faith and I really understood who God had created me to me, I wanted to live up to, to that expectation. And so I started to you know, do my work. I was respectful in class and I got rewarded for that. Your making, life changed. My life totally changed. I was making really good grades. I got to be selected for different leadership roles. But see, what it birthed in me, and I realized this in hindsight, is it kind of like the pendulum swung in a different direction to where uh, on the one hand, what I was doing was was negative and toxic. On the other end of the continuum, it was positive but toxic. Okay. And so I- Striving, created, striving, striving. Yes, I became this, yeah. this ambition for pleasing people, for affirmation. Like I wanted to uh, get the gold star. Like I, I, I became this person that I just wanted everybody to like me and I wanted to be the star. 
And so, um, which is hard to live up to as well. It is very hard to live up to. Yeah. And, and so I, in the absence of my church, I really began to try to be the star student. And so I got in my mind that I was going to go to college. I was going to get a full scholarship. I was going to leave the house and never come back. That was, that was your kind of out. That was my goal. college. Yep. Yep. And so I, I did that and I, you know, I got the grades. I was on every leadership list. I was an honor roll. I was doing all these things. I was on varsity tennis. I was doing all this stuff. And um, I was also deeply insecure. Um, I didn't know how to deal with that. I didn't know what to even call it, mm-hmm. but I was very, very insecure. And so I assumed that all the things I accomplished uh, were my value. And I really took those things as a proxy for, yes, Nona, you matter because look at all that you did as opposed to understanding, no, you matter because of who you are, because of who God created you to be. I wasn't quite there yet. It's so interesting that you went to the completely other side. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's interesting to me to see that you were on the other side Mm -hmm. where you had no value. Yeah. And then you flipped and said, I'll create my own value. Yeah. And I'll do whatever this. Yeah. The way that I look at it is people respond to trauma differently. So- Some people respond to trauma um, by what I call exploding. And so those are the people who are like drama follows them wherever they go. They're always creating strife. They're always creating confusion. The reason why they're doing it is not because they're crazy people. It's because something happened to them that they haven't been able to process. So some people, they they explode. On the other end of the continuum are people who implode. Mm. And so those are people who something has happened to them and now they're striving for perfection. They're striving for validation. They need, they constantly need people to affirm them in order to feel like they matter. And when they don't get that, then they start, some people have suicidal thoughts and then they withdraw from, you know, the public and they're like, oh my gosh, I suck. I'm horrible. I'm this, I'm that. Um, so I think people respond to trauma yeah. in, in those various ways and, and along the continuum. Yeah. Um, but I did, I, I went from kind of exploding to imploding. And for a long time, even into my career, I was still imploding because I was trying to use positions and titles and accomplishments and trophies and awards to uh, validate that I matter. Interesting. Yeah. But as an adult, we know how to uh, disguise that a little oh, bit better. Oh, of course. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. We do. Yeah. We disguise it well. Okay, so you go off to college. Yep. Did the abuse stop before then? It did. So um, it ended, I would say, probably late middle school okay. is when it ended. So Puberty high school, stuff. Yeah, I think in high school is when it really ended. Yeah. Um, high school was, was a pretty good experience. Like I was top of my class. I was in all these leadership organizations. I was like class president. I was doing all this stuff. What's interesting though is as as much as I was doing, I was doing it alone because my mom, like she didn't come to my games. She wasn't at my award ceremonies. Um, I was selected to give the commencement speech at my high school graduation. She threatened not to come. Uh, she eventually came and she brought the guy with her, which was crazy. I was dealing with this like dual life yeah. where on the one hand, I was this externally successful person who like everybody was like, oh my gosh, look at all that you're doing. And then at home, it was just Nobody cares. Nobody cares. Literally, nobody cares. Nobody cares, nobody knows. And so it created this like fractured identity where the people who I wanted to matter to, like my wanted to matter to my mom, didn't really care. And the people who, frankly, I didn't care if they liked it. I I was glad they did, but those were the people who were like, you're the best, you're the bomb, you're awesome, you're this. And so I think- having that sense of lack of purpose, it did create some toxic ambition in me. Cause it was like, okay, well, if I can't get what I want to get from the person I want to get it from, then I'm just going to do as much as I can to get it from all these other people. But that never sustained. It doesn't satisfy in the end. So you go to college, you get your master's, your bachelor's, you start working. When did you start to realize that this is not sustaining me? So uh, I will tell you the exact moment. Um, So I started off, like I said, in the property and casualty insurance industry, ended up becoming an executive very early. So like a year in, you know, I was on this leadership team with people who were like my parents' age, could be my parents. And um, that was an incredible experience. Moved up in the organization that I moved over to the municipal utility company was an incredible experience. I got a lot of recognition for that. Then I moved into this alternative schools um, network. Awesome experience. I started working in Congress. I started working with the Obama administration because I was trying to get money for the organization. But my name started to be recognized in a lot of policy circles. And so I was invited to all these exclusive events and I was at the White House multiple times a month for different things. And I'll never forget this one time I was at the White House. I was at a reception. Um, the president was there. First lady was there. Uh, president Obama. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was a room of about maybe a hundred of like the most powerful people in the country. I and mean, I literally looked around the room and I was like, how the heck did I end up here? Um, 
And I thought to myself, I was like, man, is this is this what success is? To be in a room filled with people who are incredibly powerful, who know of you, but don't really know you. Mm. You know, like, is this what success is? And I went back to my hotel that night. And I just cried. I cried so hard because, you know, as we do in situations like that, I took pictures and I posted them on social media. Like, oh, look, y'all, look where I'm at. And people were like, ooh, look at you. That's so cool. But I felt completely empty. And mm. I was like, God. I was like, I don't want to live my life like this, where I'm I'm taking pictures of moments that aren't fulfilling to me. I mean, they're amazing and people would love to be here and people, some people would kill to be here. And I'm just like, whatever. Because it, so, it can't sustain that void. No. And so I prayed that night. I was like, Lord, you're going to have to show me what it is that I need to be doing because this can't be it. And that I think is where the message of my book originated from was realizing that you can have all the trappings of success. You can have the house, the car, the clothes. You can have all that and just be trapped mm. in success to where you're like, this doesn't matter. It really doesn't matter. I don't wake up every day excited about, oh, I'm going to the White House. Mm -hmm. After a while, it was like, all right, yeah, I'm going. Yeah. You know, another day. It's just another day. Um, so I needed God to really help me understand how do you build a success that fills instead of a success that empties? Because I was very empty. Which, you know, it makes me think about, and I love this message. It's a lot of what I, is in my next book as well, which I just love how God does that. He's birthing <laughs> something in women right now. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. really, really amazing. I have so many friends who are speaking so passionately about this, including yeah. you. And I'm just like, yes, I love this message. But it makes me think and wonder that this chasing of success, most oftentimes women are chasing something that someone else has. Oh yeah. That they think is what they need, yeah. they deserve. When I'm screaming to women, you have what's right in front of you. Yep. Is where God has placed you, has birthed you for this moment, for this place, for you to serve him yep. here. And you're wasting your time thinking that something else is going to fulfill that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I think it's, I think that this is a moment in time where women are, and I'll, you know, my show is mostly for women. So I speak mm -hmm. to women where they're kind of having to make these kind of evaluations of, mm -hmm. am I chasing something that's not even mine Yeah, and that can't sustain me mm -hmm. and can't fulfill me. And unfortunately you can probably attest to this. Sometimes you learn that by sitting in your hotel room crying, going, this that's cannot, right. this isn't working for me. That's right. Well, I, I think the grace in the situation that I see is that happened to me when I was like 32. There are some people that that happens to when they're 62, right. 72, 82. And so I, I'm grateful good, yeah. that God let me understand that early versus spending my entire life on this hamster wheel of trying to get more and more and more. And on the other side of more is just less fulfillment. Yeah. I, I had to discover that pretty early on. And I think the other, the other challenge for us, especially as women, and you raised it, is this idea of comparison. I think a lot of the reason why we're dissatisfied has nothing to do with our life and everything to do with the life we're comparing our life to. Mm -hmm. It's like, I, I'm dissatisfied with my marriage because look at what her husband did for her. Mm -hmm. I'm dissatisfied with my job because look at the promotion my friend just got. I'm dissatisfied with my car because my cousin just got a new car. And so we have to understand the power of contentment. The Bible says that that is where great gain is. Contentment is the ability to live your life in the moment that you're in and be grateful for it. Not because you're waiting on the next thing, but because you have what you have right now. And I think discovering that has been the saving grace for me. Like I, and this is in full transparency, like you'll notice on my social media, I don't follow a lot of people. Like I know people who follow tens of thousands of people. I don't follow a lot of people. And the reason for that is I don't ever want to use another person's life as the proxy for my value. And so there are a lot of celebrities I don't follow, a lot of influencers I don't follow, just because I don't want to see the picture of the purse that you bought. That's the purse I want. Because I don't want to be like, <laughs> oh, so you got the purse. I just, I've learned that for my own spiritual and mental well-being, it's like, just stop comparing yourself yeah. to other people. I think with social media, which this is a whole nother conversation, uh, it's a whole show, but we won't <laughs> yes. go there. But I've had to learn too. I mean, I'm 41 and still struggle with some of those things. Oh, but yeah. I put up kind of like this kind of guardrail around my life. Whereas if if I'm on social media and I'm envious or discontent because of something I see, that's not their fault. Oh, yeah. That's yeah. not, they didn't yeah. do anything wrong. They can do all that. Yep. But it's my heart I need to guard. And so I have unfollowed people that I know in real life. 
mm. because I just need a break. Yeah. Like I just need yeah. a moment. Yeah. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that because I think we're responsible for our own hearts and I got to well, take care of it. I, I will tell you part of it too, though, is we curate what other people see as opposed to being honest. And so what happens is we create this image of perfection. Like, oh my gosh, look at this incredible trip I'm on. Oh my gosh, look at these incredible people I met. Look at this incredible place my husband just took me to. And suddenly people are like, dang, you have a perfect life. Mm. But they don't see that you just got out of the hospital. Yeah. Um, they don't see that, you the know- The fight that you had with your husband. Yeah, the fight you had, or the fact that your car that was so amazing just got repossessed. Yeah, yeah. Like, They don't see that. Or your that. kid's acting a fool. Exactly. And that's why I literally just a couple of days ago- I started intentionally doing posts that I'm just calling my transparent moment where I'm just being honest with people mm -hmm. about where I'm at and what I'm struggling with because I've had people say to me like, oh my gosh, I would love your life. And I'm like, oh, okay, you don't know the whole of it. Yeah. But the reason you don't know the whole of it is because I don't tell the whole yeah. of it. Yeah. And so I think some of what we have to do as women is just be transparent with each other and be honest with each other. And once we see that, look, no, your life isn't perfect. My life isn't perfect then we can have more compassion, yeah. more empathy for yeah. each other. I always say, people come up to me often and say, they probably say this to you as well. They're always like, um, I feel like we're best friends. Right? You know, like <laughs> you're my best friend in my you're head. You're my best friend. I know so much about yeah. you. And I always say to them, always, I say, you only know what I tell you. Mm -hmm. You only know what I tell you. Yeah. And so we can be friends. Yeah. And if we're friends in real life, you'll know a lot more than you know just by following me yes. on social media. Yes. You know, like my yes. people know. Yes. Um, okay, so I have a couple more questions for you mm -hmm. just from your whole conversation. And thank you for sharing your story because I know, I, I'm sure that there is some hardness to it, but I also see the redemption of God. Absolutely. And you can say, look at how good God is yeah. in this. Um, a couple questions. Number one, have you reconciled with your mom? I tried um, many, 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 many times over the years I tried and it has never worked. Um, so the thing about reconciliation, and to me, this is a biblical principle, is there's two sides to the coin. There's forgiveness and then there's also repentance. And forgiveness, when we're in a situation where we were offended, that is our responsibility. Not because the other person deserved it, but honestly, because we deserve peace. Right. And as long as we hold the other person responsible for what they did, then we will not have peace. So there's a forgiveness side of it when we've been offended. The repentance side of the coin though is equally important for reconciliation, which is the recognition that I messed up, I hurt you, I should not have done that. Will you forgive me? I'm sorry for what I did. That peace has never happened in our relationship. Um, as a matter of fact, when I had the conversation with my mom and I tried to explain how it hurt me and how the situation hurt me. She said to me, well, it wouldn't have happened if you would have kept your legs closed. That response and the way that you're looking right now is exactly how I looked. That you is, were five. Yeah. And I, I it happened. And it doesn't matter how old you were. Actually. Like I, I that no, I mean, five is awful, but it doesn't matter. Yeah. yeah. But I think because in her mind, and honestly, that was just a reaction of her own guilt is mm -hmm. when, when we are so guilty, we, we don't even want to accept responsibility. And so I think that's where she was. So I realized I couldn't reconcile with her because she's so deep in her guilt that she can't even repent for what she did. Mm -hmm. um, so for my own health, for the health of my family, for the safety of my family, we actually are not in fellowship. We don't communicate at all. Um, she's met my boys, I think a couple of times, but my husband now realizes, it was all because my husband set it up. And I told him, I said, honey, we're not at a healthy place. She's not in a healthy place. Don't do it. But he did because he couldn't believe that it was that bad. And so now he believes it. And he wanted the best. He wanted I mean, the best. You know, yeah. yeah. So unfortunately, no, but I pray for her every single day. My prayer mm -hmm. is that she has an authentic encounter with Jesus. And the truth is, if she needed me, if I ever found out she needed me, I would be right there because I, I don't hold any bitterness in my heart toward her. The reality is what happened was horrible and it was painful and it still is painful to think about, but I wouldn't change it because now, I mean, and the reality is I talk to people all the time. I've shared my story in front of thousands of people and every single time I do, people come up to me and say that same thing happened to me and I've never told anyone. And so if I can be a voice for people who are holding on to the shame of what happened to them, I am more than happy to do that. And I thank God because I can speak with freedom now. Um, whereas I know there are many people who are like, you know what? I could never do what you do. I could yeah. never tell anybody what happened to me. And I believe that there is just freedom and light. And you're taking um, something so awful mm -hmm. and pointing people to the Lord, Absolutely. Um, which is difficult. And like you said, yeah. a lot of people have the same experience and don't feel the freedom to do that. Uh, mm -hmm. But what you're doing is you're offering that same freedom to other people. Well, and I, to go back to the conversation about the, the tech community not being very faith friendly, mm -hmm. 
um, I had a scenario where I shared my story internally and um, a colleague asked me to go to dinner and I just thought it was just to kind of hang out and fellowship. And she said to me, she said, you know, I'm atheist. I don't, I don't believe in God. She was like, but I was raped when I was younger mm-hmm. and I've never, she said, I've, I've never been able to reconcile it. And I look at you and I see that you just seem so happy and you seem so free. And I just need to know how can I get to that place? And that became an opportunity for ministry, you wow. know? So that's why as crazy as the situation was, I'm so grateful for where I'm at now because, you know, God is using it as a tool to minister to other people. Yeah. Okay. Last question. You're very successful. You've been through a lot. You were super honest about crying in the hotel room going, is this it? Like, is I'm doing these amazing things, but is this it? Mm-hmm. But you're still successful. It's not like that success went away. Mm-hmm. What do you do now to make sure that your heart is not chasing the success mm. and that your heart is chasing what God wants for you? Oh, that's such a good question. I seek God's face every single morning, every single morning. And my prayer there used to be a time where I had a, um, I laugh about it now, but like I had a list of things I wanted to accomplish by the time I was 30, by the time I was 35, by the time that I was 30. That does not surprise me about you, by the way. Girl, I had a checklist. It was like, a, it was like, it was like a spreadsheet with like, <laughs> it was just ridiculous. But I had this like list of things I wanted to do and places I wanted to go and people I wanted to meet and boards I wanted to be on and all this stuff. And I just, I got rid of it. You don't have it anymore. I don't have it anymore. Because I'm like, Lord, all I want is what you want for me. No more, no less. If that is, as God has blessed me now with this kind of global platform, if that's what you want for me, Lord, then I want to steward that to the best of my ability. But the moment you decide that that's no longer what you want for me, I will walk away and I will be okay. Um, Every single morning I seek the face of God and my prayer truly is, Lord, I want to serve you with as much passion in notoriety as I serve you in anonymity. Mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to be, and this happens, especially in you, you may or may not have experienced this, but sometimes we become uh, Christian famous. And by that, I, mean, I don't even say I'm famous, but I'm saying we become Christian famous where people like know who you are and they think you're so full of God. And then they don't have any idea that that's just a, a show, but they have no idea that you spend no time with God, that you don't study the Bible, that you're just, you're a gifted speaker. That's it. And you're just speaking the Bible. I don't want to be that. Mm-hmm. Like I want... I want to know God authentically and I want him to know me. Like the thing that that scares me to death is when Jesus said, you know, there are going to be so many people who are going to stand before him and be like, look at all this stuff we did. Look at this. And he's going to be like, depart from me. <laughs> you that work in equity. I don't want to be that. Right. I want him to know me. And so that's how I stay humble. And that's how I stay focused is every single day, Lord, All I want is what you want for me. Nothing more, nothing less. I don't have any 10-year plan, five-year plan. I don't have a vision board. I don't have a strategy. It's like, all right, Lord. Like with my book, I didn't have a book agent. I didn't have, I wasn't shopping it around. Like it wasn't a part of a plan. It just happened. And that's how I want to live my life is I want God to get all the glory for everything that I do. It's no longer about me. And, oh, I checked this box on my what I want to do by the time I'm 40 list. Like, no, I just want to honor God. And whatever that looks like is what it looks like. I love it so much. I'm so glad that I got to have this conversation with you. (laughs) I'm excited for your book, for all the things God's doing in your life. And I'm just really excited and happy to know you. Happy to know you too. Um, (laughs) Thank you for your story. Uh, I know that that is going to minister to a lot of women and not even the thing I love about this show, The Happy Hour, is I'll I'll have someone on and they'll share a story like you shared. And I guarantee you someone will send in an email or they'll send a post or they'll send us a message and say, that didn't exactly happen to me, what Mm -hmm. happened to her, Mm -hmm. but I understand how she feels and it was an encouragement. And so I think that is something that happens in the body of Christ is that when we are, like you mentioned already, when we're vulnerable with where we've been and what we've done and what's been done to us and we can continue to point people to the Lord and continue to make Jesus shine brighter than all the other stuff. Lives are changed. And so thank you for that. Okay. So I always end with what you're reading and three things you're loving. Okay. What do you have for me? All right. So what I'm reading right now, which is going to probably bore everyone to death is called The Value of Nothing by Raj Patel. Okay. Um, So it's a book. It's a book that's premised on this idea that we know the price of everything but the value of nothing. And we therefore don't understand how important the, the world that God created is because we've made everything a commodity. So that's what I'm reading right now. That doesn't now. sound boring. <laughs> that sounds great. It's, it's, like, it's like an economics thing. And so okay. most people they hear that, they're like, what the heck is wrong with you? Right, Why are you right. reading that? So I'm reading that right now. Um, 
I just finished where uh, Crawdads Sing by Delia Owens. I've heard it's so good. So, so good. Do you read mostly fiction or nonfiction? No. So I try to read a book a week. And so I, I split it up. I just split it up. But listen. Do you read or listen? No, I read. Okay. You know what's so crazy? I have not ever listened to an audiobook. I just recorded my own audiobook and I heard two of my chapters. That's the first time I heard an audiobook was mine. So Look was, at you. So girl, I got I to gotta do better. But yeah, I, I read because I feel like... And this is not a dig on anybody that does audiobooks. I just feel like if like I don't see cheat? the word. Yeah, I like cheating. a cheat. Like, oh, I didn't. Ah, got to see the word. So, so I can listen to fiction on audiobooks because <laughs> mm-hmm. it's like a story, yeah, like a yeah, radio yeah, yeah. show almost. But nonfiction, I got to hold it. I got to touch yeah. it. I got to underline it. I got to do Make all the things. Yeah. Uh huh. So yeah, reading those. Uh, or I just I finished uh, where where thing and I'm reading um, the value of nothing. Where do you read mostly? On planes, yeah. but I try to read. So I try to read a chapter before I go to sleep at night. That's kind of how I wind down. Um, instead of watching TV or any of that, I just read. Yeah, I read books. Yeah, so that's what I'm reading right now. What was the other question? Three things you're loving. Three things I'm loving. So I'm loving running. Oh, are you full? Are you like a legit like you run races runner? I I do run races. I just finished. So here's what's crazy. So I just finished my 14th half marathon. Now. I was in Sydney, Australia in February. I was there about to speak at something. And it was a Saturday morning. My husband and I, we were walking across the park and um, I saw what looked like race day signage, just like- Did you jump in a race? So I registered for the race that was happening the next day. And I just ran this half marathon in Sydney, Australia, which was awesome. I totally did not plan for it. Did not train for it. But you're Literally. a runner. So, I mean, I mean, you should train, but you should. Because you run. I, girl, because that race was like, it was almost 14. It's supposed to be 13.1 miles. It was yeah. like 14 miles. Um, and I, Sydney, at America. most, have been running like five miles a few times a yeah. week. Because I was like, what? So, uh, loving running. I used to be a runner. I just really? always what? feel like I need to say that because I am I have all these issues with the fact that I can't run anymore. Oh, no. Why can't you run? I have a really bad back. I have some disc issues in my lower back. Oh. And so, just, it's not good. But I said to my husband the other day, I said, I think I want to walk a marathon. It, but listen. A marathon or a half marathon? Well, I have I had a I had a bucket list goal to do a marathon. I'll okay. never do it because I can't run. So, then I was like, well, maybe I could walk it. And then my pride said that walking a marathon would be not good that you'd be like a weenie even oh though I God. had a woman on here who was amazing <laughs> and she's a walker like it's a thing yeah and she walk was walking a marathon. a marathon and I was so impressed with God her God bless her so I got to get over my own insecurities but anyhow I used to love running God bless her I know yeah you need to get back into it if you decide to run let me know because I'll run with you I, I mean I try all the time and then my back goes out so then my husband gets mad at me and you know he's like why are you running bless you so the other thing, so my second thing that I'm loving is, um, and I don't know if this is like a regional enterprise, a regional franchise or national, but so Planet Smoothie has this smoothie. I think I, I think it must, I've seen this place before. So, okay. It's called the Dragon Fruit um, Lemon Splash. Okay. It is like life in a cup. It is so good. This is that smoothie, like a meal for you? It can or be. Or a snack or it can a be. treat. It can be. A, I, I try to make it a meal because I there's like 10 pounds I'm trying to get off me. That's just not. That's the story of my last 10 years. Girl, so there you go. It's just not cooperate. No, I, mine neither. That's why I said I feel like I'm about to be like I'm becoming an adult for real. Because you're going to think like, about these last 10 pounds. Yeah. yeah. So the dragon fruit, lemon splash. I don't nest. like to drink meals. Yeah, I like to sit down and I like to I like food. Yeah. So like my husband and one of my sons are like, let's go get smoothies for dinner. And I'm like, that's the weirdest thing I've ever heard in my entire life. Let's have a meal. <laughs> let's actually let's have, eat. Let's, let's chew like food. Have a meal. Yes. Okay. Uh smoothie. Third, so smoothie. So running smoothie. Um, I think the third thing I'm loving right now, and see, I don't watch a lot of TV, but the one thing that I watch marathon style back to back to back is chopped on food network oh girl yeah we love that at our house that show i, I literally feel like i'm watching the super bowl like i get so excited like my heart races i'm like oh god do you like to cook I, I so i love to cook but i don't get to cook much because i'm traveling so yeah. much but uh that show it, it's just it's everything to me i love it when you're yeah. home would you want to be in the kitchen cooking when i'm home we primarily either go out or yeah. <laughs> pick up food i have these visions Does your husband cook not really like, okay, i have, so when I have Gone, how are they eating? My husband just picks up stuff. Okay, good. But I, I do have these visions where I'm like, I'm going to make. So, what I was doing at one point um, is I had this routine. It was going pretty well where, because I try to work out twice a day. So, I run in the morning. Work out twice a day? Yeah, I try to. So, I, I run in the morning. And you read every day and you're traveling. <laughs> Girl, I need to get me some smoothies in my life. I think that's the problem. <laughs> yeah, it's in the smoothie. It's, it's in, in the, the smoothie. smoothie. It's in the smoothie. 
Um, but I would go to the gym and then like literally Whole Foods is right across the street from the gym. So I would stop at Whole Foods. I would grab dinner mm-hmm. and then I would head home, pick up my boys and I would cook. And then I just got off my regimen and we just been going to like Pollo Tropical or Boston it's, Market. I know. Or, it's hard. Yeah. It's so hard. It's hard. Yeah. We have those meals delivered to our house sometimes. Ooh, you know, which, I mean, that. you still have yeah. to cook them. That's yeah. the thing. Yeah. You still have to cook them. But I have kids that actually like cooking right now. Oh, nice. And so some of them will cook. So it's great. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. No, no. I love everything in our conversation today. Yay. Me too. And I can't wait for us to record our episode tomorrow for Better Together. Yes. Which I don't even know when it's going to air. Probably around the same time as this show airs. So that'll be fun. Um, (laughs) Thank you so much for coming on the happy hour. Thanks for having me. Friends, do not forget to get those happy hour live tickets. They're on sale right now. Okay. Nona, she overcame unimaginable childhood trauma, you guys. I consider it an incredible privilege that she would share with us the message of forgiveness and faith to walk in the freeing power of God's grace. And that is all her story is. I was moved so many times, but the moment that stuck with me is this. Number one is that a child invited her to church and that was the turning point in her meeting God. Praise God for that sixth grader and praise God for her parents for loving God and inviting Nona. I love when I hear stories like that because it is such a reminder that we have such an opportunity to show people God, even just by inviting them to church. Also, that when Nona's mom said she could not go to church anymore, she knew that it would be okay, but she had God's word and a relationship with him. I'm encouraged by Nona's faith as a 12-year-old, and I'm inspired at her faith today as she navigates the complex arena of working in and among social media. I hope that you will consider grabbing a copy of Nona's new book. It's called Success from the Inside Out, Power to Rise from the Past to a Fulfilling Future. It's available right now wherever books are sold, and there's a link in our webpage on the show notes if you want an easier way to find it. Today's show was edited by Chris with Podshaper, and the music was developed for the show by Matt Graham. Show notes are written by Aki Slockers, and the whole thing is organized by Lindsay Sweeney. Okay, guys, next week we have a special edition of The Happy Hour. It's actually the book anniversary or the anniversary of when my book, If You Only Knew, My Unlikely and Unavoidable Story Becoming Free, it's the anniversary of the week that it released. It came out in 2018, and it's basically my story. It's my story of telling you how I found freedom in the midst of shame, how I found freedom in the midst of brokenness, how God has intervened in my life and how he has made me confident in who I am in him. That's what my book is about. And so when the book released, we had some special edition podcasts and we had some friends of mine join me and talk about their stories. What are the stories in their life that they felt if people knew this about me, they would think different. And so next week, we have two incredible stories to share with you and you're going to love them. Guys, enjoy your week. Share the show with a girlfriend and have a happy hour with a friend. 